My name is Gianni Russo, a.k.a. Carlo, the infamous son-in-law from The Godfather. I'm now known as the Hollywood Godfather, and this is my story. Welcome, everybody. Another Hollywood Godfather podcast. Thank God. It gives me something to do every week. That's right. And we're happy that you're all listening to us all. As you know, we're going to introduce the, 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 the lady of the, of the crew, the only lady of the crew that we know. Yeah. Jeannie Raymond, please. How are you? Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm so glad to be here. I look forward to it all week long. We do, too. And my partner in crime, writing, and everything else we do, Patrick Piccarelli. Good evening or good afternoon, whenever you're listening to this, everybody. Everybody. Well, tell us what we're in store for tonight, my friend. Well, funny you should ask. But, you know, over the last few months, uh, I've been getting a few emails uh, to talk about the Stonewall, the Battle of the Stonewall. Uh, This was the uh, start of uh, the gay liberation movement, as we know it in this in this country. Uh, This happened in the month of June. And since June, I've gotten maybe four or five emails now. I discussed it once, but very, very briefly for like five minutes. It just indicated I was there and a little bit of what we had to put up with. But tonight, we're going to go into it a little bit more in depth. And first, I have to set the climate uh, of of, uh, New York City at the time. This occurred 54 years ago, uh, June of 1969. Holy shit, I am old. Anyway, uh, I had just graduated the police academy in, in, in March of that year. And what was going on in, in the city then? We had a mayor by the name of John Lindsay. And uh, he declared war on the gay community, uh, uh, raiding gay bars, raiding uh, gay parties, gay enclaves. Uh, and most of the, uh, the gay population lived and partied in Greenwich Village. Those of you who don't know Greenwich Village, it's the one of the oldest areas in Manhattan, and it's really nice. It's quaint. The oh, it still is too. It's perfect, actually. Phenomenal restaurants. You don't think you're in Manhattan. I mean, it's really, really nice. Uh, if my memory serves me right, I think didn't John Lindsay have a brother that was gay? Well, yeah, I was just going to bring that up. Yes, the memory serves <laughs> you right. John Lindsay had two brothers, David and George. Uh, one of them was uh, allegedly gay. Uh, by the way, all three of these guys are no longer with us, but I, I don't want to say which one it was because I don't remember it was George or David, to tell you the truth. But yeah. that said, uh, the brothers were close, but when it came to the gay community, uh, May Lindsay had it in for them for some reason. Uh, also, he used, uh, not as an excuse, I'll say a reason uh, to, to go after the gay bars and the gay nightclubs was because uh, the mob uh, under Matty the Horse on Yellow. Oh, well, to be one of my closest friends. There you go. Uh, Matty the Horse uh, was a gangster, but he was also a legitimate businessman, and he was a very, very wealthy guy. Uh, for the audience to understand, Matty actually was ahead of the Genovese family through the 60s and 70s, so he was a powerhouse. Yeah, he was a street boss, right? Yep. Yeah, anyway. Uh, he owned he owned a lot of businesses. Not only, well, he he saw the future in in, in gay clubs, because at the time, 
there wasn't anywhere else for, for gay people to congregate and have a good time because they were ostracized. Uh, they were assaulted and you know, something like what's happening now. But anyway, they put it this way. They weren't accepted in the mainstream. So they had their own clubs and they chose Greenwich Village. And that's the way it is. The tactical patrol force was charged with doing a lot of these, uh, uh, enforcing the laws uh, because the patrol precincts were busy patrolling. So I just get out of the academy and I volunteer for, for the tactical patrol force because at the time the NYPD wasn't the most honest police department uh, in the country. In fact, uh, the uh, NAP commission came a couple of years later and uh, well, the, the, the rampant corruption was exposed. I didn't want any part of that. So the TPF was known as a very, very clean, uh, all young guys, uh, most of them were Vietnam vets, and we were the riot squad. We were the people you called when there was crime in your precinct that the cops couldn't control. They would call us in and we'd take care of it. So we were constantly moving. Anyway, uh, we worked. I was in the Manhattan North unit. But we used to go to Manhattan South or Greenwich Villages. Anything south of 59th Street in NYPD talk is Manhattan South down to the Battery, which is where the Staten Island Ferry is. Uh, we would go to Greenwich Village and we would route gay guys. And that was our job. And, uh, you know, they tell you to do something, you do it. Under the West Side, just to give you an example, under the West Side Highway, which was an elevated highway, uh, and it went the uh, full uh, length of Manhattan at the time. Under the West Side Highway, uh, this was a very creepy area. It was very dark. There were, there were gay clubs there, S&M clubs, uh, uh, mostly. Uh, uh the, at night there weren't any people there weren't any businesses this was a warehouse type of area but truckers would come into the city to drop off their uh their, their trailers and whoever hired them they would empty the trailers uh while the uh truck driver would go back to wherever they came from to pick up another trailer uh filled with whatever they bought all legal stuff they were supplying new york with whatever they needed and they would come back and uh, take the empty trailer, put it back on the trailer, and go back to where they where they came from. Back and forth, back and forth. So there was always empty trailers under the West Side Highway. If you've never seen a, a trailer, it's about 40 feet long. It's big. It's high. It's uh, maybe about eight feet high. And they leave these trailers open. And, you know, people always say, well, why would they leave the trailer doors? Why didn't they just lock them up? Because people had parties in these trailers. But anyway, they would leave them open because if you put a lock on it, a thief would think there's something valuable in there. They break the lock, vandalize the doors, and get in, only to find an empty trailer. So they left. They left these trailers unlocked. So we got orders uh, quite a few nights. But the first night, keep in mind, I just got out of the police academy, and a whole new world's opening up to me here. This was this was like living on another planet. They said we're going to raid the trailers. Because we, you know, there's undercover cops everywhere, and uh, they were told that there was going to be uh, partying in these trucks, a lot of drugs and whatever else goes on. And even if they were just having a regular party, uh, Lindsay had it in for them, and we were going to raid them and lock them up for criminal trespass. All right. Anyway, we, we go down. This was my first raid. We go down and just throw open the doors, and it was look like looking at a Fellini movie. If you ever saw Federico Fellini, the Italian director, he made these very strange pictures. 
with very strange people. And that's what it looked like. You open the doors and there's people in all states of undress, sexual acts, drugs everywhere, packed almost to the doors and people couldn't even move. Only this trailer was loaded with priests. And I'm not saying maybe there were, I see 50 to 70 men in there. And I say half, half were priests. So this was, this was a rude awakening and we locked them up. Uh, Especially for us, our Catholic boys. <laughs> yeah, you know, at that time, I mean, there was always pedophile priests, but they were never fully, pardon the pun, no pun intended, they were never fully exposed. You know, I mean, they weren't exposed until I got involved with the New York Post in the, in the, in the 80s, like 1985. But we'll get into that in a minute as a prelude to this riot. Anyway, this is the type of atmosphere which uh, was going on in, in uh, Manhattan. Gay people were getting persecuted. All right. So the night, uh, it was June 13th, 1969, uh, TPF, the, the, the unit I was in, we moved to different precincts every night. We didn't have a precinct. We'd actually change clothes out of the trunks of our car. We would leave our homes with the basic clothes on us, you know, pants and shirt, the rest of the stuff we had in the trunk, guns and whatever, bats, whatever we needed. Uh, and we'd pull up to the precinct that we were working in. The cops didn't want us in that station house. We weren't very popular because we'd go in there, clean up the problem, whatever it was. And it was a, got a little violent most of the time. Then we'd leave. <laughs> and How many were there of you, Pat? How 800. Many? 800 citywide. Uh, then the cops, the cops would have to deal with the aftermath after we left. So we weren't very popular. Anyway, on the night in question, we... we uh, we were told to go to the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Uh, the Brooklyn Navy Yard was basically closed up. Uh, it was an operation during World War II, uh, but it's on the water. And we go down there and we get, this is gonna be very difficult to believe, but we get put on a submarine. The submarine, I'd never, you know, you see some pictures of submarines in the movies and whatever. They're very cramped in there. And my, why, why was the submarine there? Let's put that. Let's ask that question. This was this was a dry dock submarine from World War Two. Uh, it wasn't going anywhere. It was, it was in dry dock. Okay. And these things are small. I mean, well, very, and, very small. I mean, and, and they jammed. I think there was about 28 guys in my in my unit. We were Manhattan, the only Manhattan North unit. They jammed us in there and didn't tell us why. Uh there was a plan to do a raid on the Stonewall Inn, which is at 53 Christopher Street or 153 Christopher Street. It was on Christopher Street, which was a uh, Christopher Street was the Mecca for gay people. That's where the bars were. That's where they did partying. Uh, and and uh, we were going to hit it. Only it was supposed to be a secret. Uh, it's a very poorly kept secret. Uh, and I'll tell you that why in, in, a, in a couple of minutes. They didn't even tell us what we were doing. Now, TPF worked from 6 at night, 6 p.m. to 2 a.m., four days a week. We got four on and two off. They kept us in there until 2 in the morning, and it was June in a submarine, and it was not comfortable. Uh, at 2 o'clock in the morning, we're supposed to be getting off. We're, we're finished. No. They put us on school buses, and they, we went to Greenwich Village. These were regular school buses, nothing to do with police, and they they... Uh, sent us down to Greenwich Village. Now, the mistake that the NYPD made 
was they were going to let the local precincts handle the raid. So the the fourth precinct, the seventh precinct, and and uh, one other I forgot. That was a mistake too, because the, the, these precincts operate independently, and you have to be coordinated to do these these raids. And should it turn into a riot, you have to know what you're doing. And uh, sending precinct guys down there was well, they're very capable cops, but they're not specifically trained in riot control like we were. Anyway, they go down there and. Uh, the word had gotten out and these people were waiting for them and the riot started. Now, so the riot, you know, they come, they go, last a couple of hours. This riot went on for five days. Oh my God. So we're in, uh, we're held in, in, in reserve on the, uh, about six blocks away in this school bus. Supposedly, uh, you know, no one's going to ask any questions. A school bus parked on your block at three o'clock in the morning. We had people banging on the door. <laughs> what are you guys doing here? You know, it's just very poorly run. Anyway, these guys, uh, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the precinct personnel, under inspector's name was Pine, and he wasn't TPF, so he wasn't trained either. They got ambushed, and oh. they were throwing stuff off of roofs, and I mean, anything they can get their hands on. Well, uh, bricks which made sense any other thing they get get their hands on i saw toilet bowls flying off of the roofs uh it was pretty bad and this went on did any cops get killed no no one got killed that's oddly enough uh, we were involved in very hairy stuff every single night uh at the the years tpf was in existence i believe they disbanded it a couple of years after this stonewall what are you calling that what's that tactical one cop was one TPF cop was killed, and I was during the Columbia University riots. But to answer her question, you're calling it TPF, T Tactical Patrol Force. Okay, well, you're saying so fast. Yeah. I want our audiences in yeah. Great Britain to understand your New York accent. This was the Tactical Patrol Force. There you Thank go. Thank you. you I, I'm used to acronyms, but but it's out of my uh, wheelhouse, so I want to okay. I want to know what we're talking about. Thank you. T Anyway, they activated us to rescue these cops. Uh, and we went in there not knowing what to expect us. We couldn't see anything. We couldn't hear anything. We were six blocks away. And at, at, the, at the time, I would say, by the time the word got out and we arrived, it was r rather a small crowd compared to what it was going to develop into. Uh, maybe three to 500 people. But you got to understand something about the mindset of people that are going to riot. Nobody plans a riot. It's just that they get lost in the crowd and it's it's the mindset of the crowd itself. It starts, it has uh, one mind. People start to push, people start to throw, people start to scream and everybody joins in. And uh, TPF, we had helmets, but that's all we had. We had, oh, we had no radios. We had no shields, you know, these body shields. There was no bulletproof vest at the time. Uh, we just walked into this malaise of, of stuff and raining off of roofs. The was it almost period, twilight now? No, it's, no, it's about 3.30 a.m., maybe 4. Oh. Okay. Uh, you said you got there were two. I'm just trying to get a visual. Well, we left, we left 
the Brooklyn Navy Yard at two. Got there about two thirty, and we were in reserve for maybe a half hour, forty five minutes. Oh, if okay. the patient couldn't handle it, then we were going to be called in, and we were called in immediately because they got overwhelmed. Okay. But the gay community was told, or the rumors started to spread. That's something else about a riot. Rumors start to spread like wildfire, and a rumor generally isn't true. They just make it up. And this rumor was, well, there was a couple of rumors. One was that uh, the mob was paying the tactical patrol force to come in and beat everybody up. Like we would meet and they would pay us. It was so ridiculous. And the other one was uh, that uh, the, the, the mob, uh, uh, Mayor Lindsay wasn't after the gay folks. He was after the mafia. That was the other rumor. Regardless, they didn't want us there. Now, we sort of quieted everything down uh, the first the first night. It went to about seven or eight in the morning. But during that time, uh, the people in the Stonewall, the Stonewall was a pretty big club. They the, the people inside was like the Alamo. They got uh, they had the uh, plywood and other wood and they nailed everything shut. So anybody that was in that club wasn't going anywhere too soon. But that's what they wanted. They wanted just to be the last stand of the of the gay community, like the Alamo. There was a, there was a couple of made guys in there, mob guys, and, and and a bunch of associates. It's their club, you know. They had their own private offices, and they were trapped in there too. So we we had to get them out. Uh, we just there was no holds barred back then. You, you didn't have to watch what you did. It was a, take control of the street, get it back. And we hurt a lot of people and it was a lot of cops hurt, but surprisingly, nobody was killed on, on, on either side. So it, it quiets down about uh, eight in the morning. We took a bunch of prisoners and it kept on escalating. The day four were fights every night, battles every night. Uh, national it would, it would calm down during the day and then escalate again. Yeah, well, it, you know, they these people went to court and they were cut loose right away. Plus, people have dinner up all night, go home, go to sleep, whatever they do. Then they came back, but it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. By day four, there was a minimum of a thousand rioters. Oh. And it was maybe a hundred of us. But let's give a visual also, because that club, as I remember it, is only about 40 foot wide. Yeah. But it was long. Now you're talking, I know it's long, but yeah. I'm saying on the curbside to get into it. You're looking at only 40 feet and you got a hundred thousand people outside. That's insane. People on the street. And what they did was they started fires to trap us in the block. Uh, in, in case we got any ideas in our head, I tell you, when you see all these this sea of humanity racing toward you, I mean, I just got out of Vietnam and I had plenty of fear there. I was, I was scared for the entire year that I was just as scared because they, they, they have a mindset that they're going to kill you. I mean, that's the bottom line. If they, if they get their hands on you, they're going to rip you apart. So we had a fight with everything we had, and all we had was guns. We couldn't shoot people uh, unless, you know, we were really trapped, and it seems that our lives were in danger. But we had we had uh, nightsticks, but the nightsticks then were different than the nightsticks now. The nightsticks that police have now are made out of plastic. Granted, it's pretty hard plastic, but we had Nice sticks made out of Coca-Bola wood. Coca-Bola wood doesn't float. It's like lead. And those are the nice sticks we had. And we just 
they charged us and we charged them at the same time. Have you ever saw the movie Zulu? <laughs> I mean, it was it was a sea of humanity. We were just charging each other, but we were swinging. They had they had stuff too. They had glass bottles that were broken. They had garbage can covers, anything that they could pick up and hit us. With. Yeah, but they're ten to one. But they weren't trained. You know, you start. You start, Our lines never broke. We went in and no one broke. We had a straight line and we just ran over them. We took a lot of casualties. But when you start hitting these people and opening up heads, uh, they, they see that 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 that, that pal next to them hits the ground with a split skull. They break ranks, and that's oh. how you take. That's how you they take retreat. Them. I would too. I would go home. Well. Uh, you know, you're trained in, in the police academy, even even when I was there, uh, never to hit somebody in the head with a with a uh, this Coca-Cola nightstick. They weren't concerned about injuries. They were concerned about optics. What they didn't want to see on, on the front page of the news was a cop with his nightstick raised above his head and some guy cowering on the ground and you're coming down. It doesn't look good. So what we were trained to do is poke, hit the shins. Uh, never raise it because the photographer takes a picture and we look right. terrible. Those rules went out the window. We were swinging at heads. That's the only way you're going to put these people down. Uh, the fourth day was the worst day. On day five, so many people were injured that the crowds were dissipating. The politicians came in and they uh, they made some kind of uh, uh, agreements where they would have representation of city council and all this. But that was the start of the gay liberation movement. Well, uh, Pat, you said, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but you said the first this started at 3 a.m. Would Did this just all rise up every evening or once it got dark or is it going all day long? No, it would, it, no during the day, it was peaceful. The, 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 the street was a wreck. I mean, there were other bars on that street. Uh, every window's broken out. Uh, cars overturned. They overturned a lot of cars for protection. Uh, it was just, it was like living in another world. I said, I, I, I was yearning to go back to Vietnam. At least I was there. At, at, at least I had a tan, you know? I mean, I looked good, yeah. relaxed, you know? This was just constant fight, fight, fight. And when you, you're the swinging... Like, I'm sorry, in the dark? Are you fighting in the dark? Is there street lights? Yeah, you... street lights. Street lights. lights wow. But you've got enough to see. You can see what's going on. It's just a night brawl. The first thing they did was take out the lights. So we, we had no light, but uh, TPF had these light blue helmets. So uh, you, you can see the guy who the guy next to you was. If he didn't have a, a, a blue helmet on, if he was okay. fair game, down he went. Uh, but that's what started the, 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 the gay liberation movement. And somehow I, I was never able to get away from it because in 1986, I get hired by the, no, 1987, I was just set to retire. Uh, I get called by the New York Post. I was a polygraph expert. Well, I still am. Uh, and there was a rumor that a very well-known priest who had a... Uh, a, uh, a home for runaways in Times Square was a pedophile. Now, there's been pedophiles I mean, throughout since recorded time, but you never heard of a pedophile priest up until the expose that I uncovered uh, in, I believe it was 86, maybe 87. Uh, I interviewed and polygraphed uh, victims of this alleged pedophile priest to make sure that their stories were accurate. 
before the post went with the story because this was groundbreaking. This was never done before. And uh, I, I, I ran out of time. I mean, I, I, I went through the 26 people and the, the word got out and more people were coming forward. The priest's name was Father Bruce Ritter. Uh, and he was quite what an apropos first name, Bruce. Yeah, <laughs> Bruce uh, was a, <laughs> a serial pedophile. And once again, the importance of this is, you know, a priest. It was sacrosanct. You, you, you know, he he was uh, he was God on earth. You know, I mean, when when I when when I was a kid, uh, if if a priest came to your house and wanted to take. Uh, uh, to take you away for, uh, for for a day at the zoo, or you would gladly uh, send them. You know. Well, we all trust them. We were raised in that. Oh religion. yeah, we, yeah. You know. Always trust the priest. Hello. Couldn't trust him. Who could you trust? Hello. Bruce Ritter was highly trusted, and if you go online, you'll see quite a few pictures of him with uh, celebrities, particularly Nancy Reagan, who was the first lady at the time, loved Father Bruce. And he was at all uh, White House dinners and receptions. He had uh, an abandoned church, which he, he turned into a home for runaways. He started it during the Vietnam War when uh, runaways were coming to New York by the thousands. They got off a bus at the Port Authority bus terminal in the heart of Times Square. And back then, you know, flower children didn't wear shoes. It was, you know, part of the getup. You get off a bus at the Port Authority bus terminal, walk outside in February, you're hurting. <laughs> she got those shoes on. They, they, they were dressed, you know, they, they weren't dressed for the weather. Here comes Father Bruce. And he would scoop all these kids up and take them to the, he called it the Covenant House. And it got so popular. And because of Nancy Reagan, she was, she really pushed his, his philosophy. He opened other Covenant Houses throughout the United States then throughout the world and father bruce headed it all until the post came along and exposed him and that's what started the uh, investigations into various priests i couldn't get away from this the word got out that i would go after pedophile priests and that's all the cases i was getting parents are coming to me. by that time i had retired i'm in private practice and people are coming to me asking me to investigate priests at, at their local parish just to make sure they're okay and after, I just didn't want to do it anymore. I mean, it was I just... Mean, that's, I mean, that's such a sensitive area. Jeez. Well, my name, a private situation. My name was in the paper. And oh. they, they came to me. And I, after a while, I said, well, you know, I was doing well financially. But I said, I, I'm not doing this anymore. You know, I just... Uh, but anyway, that's what started. Father Bruce, they didn't know what to do with the guy. Uh, initially, when they started getting a lot of pedophile priests, they would transfer them. That's all they would do. Well, they kept moving them around. Yeah, moving them around. Once, once the parish, well, I, I got involved in this uh, on a personal level because my, my church on 62nd Street, a lady queen of peace, they were ready to, they sold it. Actually, they actually sold the church because of all this movement and the money the archdiocese had to raise to settle some of these claims so they don't go public. So the Catholic Church 20 years ago started selling off assets yeah. to satisfy and keep this under wraps. It's it's amazing well, to me. Father Bruce blew it out of the water. And I'll tell you what happened to him after a commercial word. Okay. We'll be right back. 
with Father Bruce. Not him, personally. <laughs> I'm now known as the Hollywood Godfather, and this is my story. I'm happy to say Hollywood Godfather Rapography is now playing on most platforms. Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music. Listen to Joel Ortiz, famous rapper and Arsenic the Heat Breaker, multi-platinum producer for Sony. Produce this record. I'm proud of it. There's 12 tracks. You got to listen to this. You never know who you're lying in a room with So I broke a broomstick in half and let it groove with The concrete in the bathroom floor It had a new tip stashed it behind the toilet In case I ever had to use it We are back with Father Bruce Okay, they didn't know what to do with Father Bruce uh, Because he was the first person ever to get in trouble with this So they put him in a secluded cabin In upstate New York And he couldn't leave it And, uh he died in the 2000s, I believe, the early 2000s. He was in that cabin for a while. He had wow. all his food delivered. He was a hermit. He would never leave it. I mean, you know, what's the sanction if he decides to go into town? None, of course. It's, you know, but he never did. No one ever saw him again. And he uh, he died in uh, anonymity and alone. That's amazing. And how long did that process take when he got to the cabin? The well, he was many years. Many years. Uh, exactly. You know, I should have I should have looked it up, but uh, at, at least till the, till the late 1990s, and I think into the 2000s. But I'm not sure. But anyway, a long time, many years. Oh. And, uh, you know, and but then it, it got quiet. And everybody thought, you know, Father Bruce was the only pedophile priest in the entire Catholic Church. And then the floodgates opened up. And then the, the rest is history. No, but it's, it's strange because, you know, uh, talking about mayors, like you're saying, Lindsay, when Giuliani got in, Again, he went after all the sex cl clubs on 42nd yeah. Street. And Maddie owned all of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he Matt. owned all the, what, what they, 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 they called them peep shows. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because when, when you went, these were live peep shows. You put, mm -hmm. in a, you put in a quarter or a half a dollar and you saw a live woman on the other side of this about wall. three minutes. Yeah, the lights would go on and there's this naked, well, she, she wasn't naked then. She was in the process of becoming naked. And of course, after you spent like eight, eight or nine dollars and she's taken off like one sock at a time, you finally see her without any clothes on. But who knows how much you've gone through. And then the, the window closes. Yeah. And it just shuts down. You have to put more money in again. And you say to yourself, well, it's, so, it's you know, I mean, we have an adult audience. You, I, you can imagine these guys were masturbating. You know, you say to yourself, <laughs> get the good stuff, your quarters run out. <laughs> Some people, you know, will say, well, it's a quarter or half a dollar. How much money could they be making? Let me tell you something. There were many, many, many oh people shows that ran 24-7, and they were oh, making millions. And they did 24. They ran 24-7. 24-7. You'd see, when, the, when I remember a couple of times when we used to have the um, Fleet Week here. Yeah. There were lines of <laughs> uniforms outside of each one of these doors. They've been on a ship all this time. It was so great. I, I, you know, I, I really love Maddie and, and Yelly and Maddie the horse. Everybody knew by that. But I mean, this guy talking about capitalizing on things. You know, we had a hundred businesses, but his control over the sex market was insane. It made him hundreds of millions of dollars. Way ahead of his time. Yeah, and he, he wound up getting thirteen years. I stayed in touch with him. 
And I stay in touch with his sisters, everybody, Frankie C, Lamella's restaurant. I was there every day. But, you know, it, it's, it's so funny because when you meet this guy, you would never think, especially his structure, the way he looked, he was a, a tough guy. Did he die in prison? No. No. In fact, when he came out, I did my last favor he asked me to do. He opened Umberto's up in the Bronx. Okay. And he said, will you open it for me? Now, you know, now, uh, you know, I made mo motion pictures and all that. I said, but Matty, I'll go in and do Let's do whatever you want me to do. Was, that, an, the time. was yeah. that an Arthur Avenue? Yeah, on Arthur Avenue, right on the corner. One of the, right right on the, one of the prestigious corners on Arthur Avenue in the Bronx. They opened an Umberto's. And for our audience, talking about Umberto's, I'll give a part of American history that we will all would know once we get into it. A, a guy, who, you know, was a very, very close friend of ours and, 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 and basically a movie star, a major movie star, Jerry Orbach. We all met him. He made his debut at NYPD Blue and all that. He's at the Copa one night. And who's he with? Crazy Joe Gallo. And it was Crazy Joe Gallo's 40th birthday party. So they were at the Copa, which is a normal thing. And his last birthday party, by the way. Well, let's not, let's not drop the ball. Did I get a <laughs> in on your stuff? There's a last birthday party. Wait a minute. <laughs> anyway, don't go to my punchline. Anyway, <laughs> it's 2 o'clock. The Copa is closing. And they said, come with us, John. We're going to go downtown. We have Chinese food. Because we all used to go to 14 Mott Street, which is on the other side, the Chinese side. So they get to 14 Mott, and they just exterminated. It was like 3 o'clock in the morning. So they couldn't get there. Now, Jerry Orbach was with his wife. Crazy Joe Gallo was with his wife. So they're naive to what Joe can do or can't go, whatever. Says, well, let's go to Umberto's, the one in the village. I mean, the one in on Mulberry Street, which was very well known for the Scungili and the Galamad. So he couldn't tell them that he couldn't go. He wasn't allowed in the neighborhood. So he's at the table, four of them at the table. It's like four o'clock in the morning. And this guy walks by and he, see, he thinks he saw Joe Gallo. So what does he do? He goes around the corner to 127 Mulberry Street. And O'Neill is still there. The old man went home. It's late. O'Neill used to have games in there. So he said, you ain't going to believe who's on, in the neighborhood. He says, Joe Gallo. He says, what are you talking about? He says, yeah, he's here. He's, can I have permission to kill him? The guy wanted to get me. So they said, go kill him. <laughs> this is not going to believe. This guy goes into Umberto's. Now you got Jerry Orbach sitting with his wife, Joe Gallo sitting with his wife. He put eight bullets in Joe Gallo between the wives. <laughs> Joe Gallo got up, got up and he died on the streets. Famous picture. That's why how Umberto's really got known because that was a major massacre. Were you on the job yet then? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, that was in 72. I was on four years. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but I, 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 I didn't work on it. The furthest south I ever got was during the Stonewall Rise. We worked in Harlem most of the time. But it's, it's crazy how, again, and I, and I love Maddie, and, and, but, but the things, in fact, he owns yet the oldest bar, one of the oldest bars in New York City, 
He owns, and his sisters are running it right now, the Mulberry Street Bar. It's been so many movies. It's been there forever. You see the pictures on the wall. You, you can't get in there on the weekends. It's like a tourist attraction. They have tours to it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the whole neighborhood's changed. Oh my God! Yeah. When did he? When did he pass away? Um, that's a good question. About ten years ago. That's all. He must have been up there. Oh yeah. Well, he would have been one hundred and three. I know that this year. Yeah. Happy birthday, Maddie. Yeah. Right. Happy birthday, Maddie. Is right. Yeah, because we born. Yeah, we was born. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. But uh, these stories, I'm, and, and who's ever, who, who requested that? We had a couple of requests on it. We had, well, on the anniversary, yeah. I got about two emails. And like I said, I had discussed it in the past. And uh, it was like like a five minute, yeah, it was at the stone wall and it's shit's coming off the roofs and all that. But uh, then I got a couple of more. So I figured I would tell the whole story. People, that though the the history of the Stonewall didn't realize that that riot went on for five days. I mean, it wasn't. Uh, they were willing enough. They were willing to give up their lives. These people, they had no train. You know, they're just average people that were that were fighting, well armed and well trained police. They lost, but they won the first night. They, they the the interesting thing about that for our audience to know, they have now sanctioned it as a. It's a historic landmark. Historic landmark. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, they they, they got recognition after many years and a lot. Yeah, the black. You know, this is where the Battle of the Stonewall took place. For those of you who don't know what a historic designation like that means, they can never take that building down. Yep, never. Oh. Never. That's why I live on a historic block, because I'm living to 200 years old. Because they can't take my building down. <laughs> I no, really I, do. My yeah. block, the historic block in New York. So your, your building's a, a historic landmark? Yes. Oh, I didn't oh, know that. Yeah. The block, the whole block is from really? corner to corner. You can't change your window. You I can't know. change anything. Like, to change the windows in, in my building, I had to get somebody to come in and make steel pane glass windows. The out exterior windows facing the street all have to look like in the 30s. Can you can you paint without permission? Or you, you need permission for that, too? Have to stay the same color, every color. They they just released. You could change the color of your doors, and now it looks like a jar, the, the block looks like a jar of jelly beans. Who's got a pink door, or a red door? Oh, but there's a you mean looks nice. How many historic buildings there are in New York? Oh my God, yeah, there's so yeah. many, particularly downtown. You ever been to McSorley's Bar? Oh my God, yeah. That bar has been open since 1850-something. Yep. Nothing, nothing has changed, except the bartenders. <laughs> That's yep. it. No, I mean, like Ferrara's. Ferrara's pastry shop opened in the 1800s. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, thank you for this update. And I didn't realize you were in on the raid. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have flashbacks tonight when I go to sleep. Thank you very much. <laughs> Pat, yeah. did you ever run into those people after that? Was that an area that you frequented? Well, in I, your... I had a partner. His name was Joe Kushido, uh, not TPF, and some other unit. His uncle was a made guy who owned Kushido's. Did you know him, Johnny? Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, he said, Joe's uncle, what a nice guy. Uh, we get off uh, 4 to 12s, the whole squad. 
maybe 12 to 15 guys would be in a squad. You get off at uh, midnight. Where are you going to go? We would go to Cushido's. That great food. He treated us like like royalty. Just a pleasant, well-mannered, respectful guy. We know who he was. He knew who we were. Right. But, uh, used to go down there a lot. Did I see anybody? Let me tell you something. All I saw was a sea of faces for five days. Everybody looked alike. <laughs> I mean, we were just swinging and trying to stay in one piece. Uh, so, no, I, I don't know. You know, they have celebrations every year. The anniversary yeah, of the Stone Oh, it's yeah. huge. It's huge. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, everybody. Uh, but now, I mean, there's, they have a, so much more respect than they did and, and were recognized and controlled. I mean, it's, uh, it's a very organized group. You had a feel for these people because they were getting brutalized. Uh, and it was all due to politics and, uh, you know, not in my neighborhood, that that type of thing. And uh, uh, but that, that, you know, those days are over, but they have a, uh, a reunion every year that gets bigger and bigger. And it's it's the place to be seen if you're a politician. You want the votes. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, I ain't going down there. <laughs> <laughs> That's one place I don't want to be seen. The same thing with the There's rumors about me now. I want to do a show up. <laughs> There's a gay parade every year uh, that gets bigger and bigger. Yeah. It's called the Pride Parade, right? Yeah, yeah. now it's Pride. Now it's right. Pride. That's right. Yeah. I listened to a podcast, uh, which I've known to do, but uh, they talked quite a bit about that. And it was a big, big deal. They, you know, were all headed down. and Oh, yeah. And they talk about Stonewall all the time. So, Well, that was the first major organized launch and. It's there, you know, it's the alma mater and it's their, yeah. their, their clubhouse. <laughs> there was never any, never any problems after that, you know. And you talk about, you know, the, the, the parade attracts hundreds of thousands of people, always peaceful, always calm. And, and, and uh, in contrast, for instance, to the West Indian Day Parade, which is in, which is in Brooklyn on oh Eastern Parkway, there's at least two or three homicides a year at that parade. Oh. No, no cop ever wants to work that parade. It was yeah. like punishment. Well, that uh, was like the Puerto Rican parades for a while. That's West Indian. That, they, they that got way out of order. You know. the, the, basically, the West Indian Caribbean area, Haiti, Jamaica, like that, but uh, very violent. I mean, it's uh, people getting hurt, killed, shot, stabbed. Hmm. Uh, All right. Well, let's end on a pleasant note. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> exactly right. A, a pleasant note. Thank you all for the cards and letters and keep tuning in. We totally appreciate you and um, tell your friends. Oh, that's right. Hey, I, I did learn. I learn a little something all the time from these podcasts, just enough to be dangerous because I don't remember it all, but I do know this. It helps with the ratings. If you rate and review and, and the one podcast I was listening to said, you don't have to say anything great. Tell us your favorite kind of pizza or your favorite Italian meal. And it, it helps with the ratings. Yeah, so you can also share the show. Um, very easy. Just click on the three little dots at the top and the icons come down on the side and share your shows with all, all your friends. So that wouldn't be great. Thank you yeah. so much. Yep. Hey, yeah. everybody. Uh, have a good night. Good night, Jeannie. Okay. Good night, Gianni. We'll see you next Jeannie. week. Good night, Pat. All right, please. Thank you. And that was that. And I'll be back.
Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. Do you have a question for the mailbag? We love hearing from our fans and answering questions about past or future episodes, your favorite celebrities, or anything you'd like to know. Submit your questions online at hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com or you can call us at 646-776-3038 and leave us a message. Who knows, your question may even make it on the air. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and at Real Gianni Russo. If you like our show and you like what we're doing, please leave us a review on your podcast or video streaming service. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Now we'll be back next week with a new exciting show and who knows who may be joining us. Until next time. Never get too old to have a little fun. Come on, I'm Gianni Russo. A genuine one of a kind. What a ride it's been, this life of mine. And I ain't done yet. I'll be back.